I just love her. <laughs> All right, I'm much shorter than the last two people that were up here, so I don't, can you see me? Um, all right. I, I, am, I am weak, and I am tired, and I am overwhelmed at times. Um, I'm confused, and I'm lazy, and I'm desperate at times. I am weak. I need God. God has graciously given each of us as believers access to him by prayer through Christ Jesus, our great high priest. Hebrews 4.16 tells us, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That's why I pray. I am weak, so I pray. God calls me to, so I pray. God allows me to, so I pray. When it comes to my prayer life, I have tried to be very intentional. I have a process. <laughs> I have been asked to share, as Lauren said, a little of that process with you tonight. A threat to having a process, however, is becoming complacent or thoughtless in your prayers. So don't do that. Um, remember where you are when you pray. You are near the throne of grace. You are before the creator of the universe. Pray with awe and reverence and a fully engaged mind. I'm going to discuss and we'll actually practice just two aspects of my daily morning prayers. We'll be looking at worship through prayer and at prayers for the lost. Before we get too far into this, I need to point out that my prayer life is a compilation and adaptation of the prayer lives of many others. I have never had an original thought. Um, I, uh, I learn from others and borrow and adapt what I find helpful. So if anything I say tonight is helpful, use it and give glory to God. I, I promise it's not me. Another aspect of my prayer life that is valuable to understand is that I am a verse collector. My daily Bible reading plays a significant role in my daily prayer life. I have several lists of verses going at any given time. As I read and study scripture, I write down verses or biblical truths that apply to different areas of my prayer life. I then use those verses when I pray. God's word is true. It is living and active. It is powerful because it's God's and because it's true. So I love to use scripture when I pray. First tonight, we're going to look at worship through prayer. Worship is ascribing worth to something. There is nothing and no one more worthy than God. We were designed to worship, and yet sometimes the private worship of God feels a little unnatural. Sometimes worship is thought to be a Sunday morning corporate endeavor. So a few years back, I decided I needed to be a little more intentional about worship. God is worthy of all praise and glory, and I need to be thinking on that daily. 
This is an area that currently I'm in the process of refining. So I will share a little about where I have been, where I am, and where I I hope to be going. So how do I worship God privately in my prayer life? I do so by considering who God is. I will choose an attribute of God and respond to him in light of that attribute. For many years, this has been me just randomly thinking about an attribute each morning and pondering that attribute and praising God for his perfect display of that attribute. What I have found, though, is that I tend to stick with just a handful of attributes that I understand well or particularly enjoy. But recently, I I noticed that when I encounter an attribute of God's that I don't normally meditate on, I have found that I, I love him even more deeply and I desire to know him better. Um, So I realized that I needed to organize my efforts. (laughs) Um, And being my father's daughter, I made a list. Um, That's what we do. We make lists. And I made a list of his attributes that I can rotate through. And this has been helpful, but as a verse collector, um, I decided I needed more details and, of course, verses. So currently, I am working on a document with descriptions of and notes about the attributes and verses that proclaim these attributes. In addition to my daily Bible reading, I am using three resources that are mentioned in your your little booklet. Um, They are The Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer, uh, The Attributes of God by A.W. Pink, and a few chapters from Systematic Theology by Wayne Grudem. Incidentally, just yesterday I found out that Wayne Grudem's middle name begins with an A, and I really don't understand why he hasn't legally switched his two names so he could be A.W. Grudem. It, it just made sense to me. I don't, I don't, anyhow, I digress. All right, so in addition to verses and descriptions, I may also include pieces of my life and the lives of people I love in this document. So when Lauren shares with me an acknowledgement of God's sovereignty or when Kelly shares an unexpected mercy, I may just make a note of those things as well. What we've included in your booklet is a short list of attributes. I think this is starting on page two. Um, This is by no means an exhaustive list. There's a brief definition and a verse or two that touch on that attribute. The definitions are adapted from one or more of the books I mentioned. This is meant to whet your appetite and to possibly get you started on the process of creating a list of your own. This can be done in a notebook, on note cards, in a Word document, or in a note-taking app like Evernote or OneNote. I am using OneNote because I like to have access to the document on my phone um, so I can add verses or... Um, some teaching or notes whenever that's applicable. So then what do I do with this information I've collected? Well, I, I ponder and I praise. I sit and I think about the magnitude of this truth about who God is. At least I, I ponder to the best of my finite ability. I think about how God perfectly possesses this attribute. I contrast that with how poorly I compare. I think about my need for God to have this attribute. I think about the world's need for God to have this attribute. 
and I praise him for this. Together, we're going to look at the attribute of God's independence. This should be the first one in the booklet on page two. I'm sorry, I'm on. Okay, there we go. Um, So this is what my morning might look like. Uh, As I read about God's independence or self-existence, I see God does not need any part of creation in order to exist or for any other reason. Acts 17, 24, and 5 says, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Oh, I'm so sorry. God needs nothing. I am needy. I'm really very, very needy. As a matter of fact, I'm entirely dependent on God. Um, And somehow I am also dependent on other people who God has provided. God takes pleasure in his creation, but he is not lacking in pleasure without his creation. He is totally fulfilled and totally satisfied just in himself. He needs nothing. God sustains the world and is entirely independent of it. Who can give anything to God that he hasn't first given them? John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. God is not created. He was there in the beginning. He's always been. He is self-existent. One of my favorites, God said to Moses in Exodus 3.14, I am who I am. Nothing can be added to or for that matter taken from who God is. I find this amazing. I think about this. This is amazing. So I pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are independent. You are totally self-existent. I have nothing to offer you that you need or that you haven't first given to me. I am completely dependent on you. I am grateful and humbled that you are a God that provides and does not need. If you needed anything, if you lacked anything, then you wouldn't be perfect. But you are. You are perfect in your independence. Thank you for drawing us to yourself, not because you need us, but because we need you. We love you, O God, in Jesus' name. Amen. That is very much what my morning might look like. It might take a little more time when I haven't actually had it all written out and practiced it 14 times already today. Um, (laughs) Public speaking, not my gift. Um, But now I'm going to ask you to take a moment and look through the list of attributes that are in your booklet. I think there are eight. Um, Choose an attribute. Take some time and ponder. Think about who God is. Think about how this attribute is necessary and good and right. And I'm going to give you a few moments to even pray. A side effect of this type of daily worship 
is you get to know God. You understand his attributes better, and you remember, uh, actually, you treasure the fact that God does not give up his holiness or his sovereignty or his goodness or his faithfulness or his wisdom when that unexpected circumstance happens in your life. That God is still that God. The next uh, aspect of my prayer life I'd like to talk about is praying for the lost. I have a quote by Charles Spurgeon that I write in the front of my notebook every time I get a new one. It says, If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions, and let not one go unwarned or unprayed for. This reminds me of the importance of both evangelism and prayer when it comes to those who are lost. God uses the prayers of his people. They affect history. If I don't believe that, will I faithfully pray? I don't know that I would. But our prayers are effective because God has purposed them to be. Our prayers are part of his sovereign plan. I imagine that most of us have a nearly endless list of friends and family members, neighbors and coworkers who are lost. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction and those who enter by it are many. We also know of people groups that are completely unreached. A few years ago, I heard David Platt say that if every believer shared the gospel with everyone they knew or came into contact with, and if they all repented and believed and told everyone they knew or came into contact with, and so on, there would still be three billion people on this planet who have never heard the gospel. There is simply not a Christian voice anywhere near them. Compare that with those within our sphere of influence, people who have heard the gospel, maybe they've even given mental assent to it, but have not yet submitted their lives to Christ. The task of praying for the lost may seem overwhelming and insurmountable. I need a plan in order to be intentional. My prayer time for the lost is really quite simple, actually. Every year I choose 28 verses that touch on salvation. Why 28? Because 52 divided by 4 is 13. Bryce didn't get that either. But um, 28 is one verse a day for four weeks. There are 52 weeks in a year. So with four weeks of verses, I will pray each verse 13 times. That and I can fit four weeks worth on one sheet of paper. So it's, it's uh, not anything super spiritual here. That's just what I do. And I collect these verses throughout the year as I am daily reading the Bible. Before the end of December, I will set aside some time to make my prayer and reading plan for the next year. This is when I'll put together my new list. So it might look something like this. A few weeks ago, I was reading through the book of Job. As I read chapter 19, I came to verse 25, one many of us know well, for I know that my Redeemer lives, 
and at the last he will stand upon the earth. This is a verse I'm going to want to pray. I want my loved ones who are lost to know that there is one who can and will redeem them. I want Christ to be their redeemer. I want them to rejoice at the thought of Christ standing upon the earth once again. I want them to worship him as he stands, Lord and Savior, creator and conqueror. So I add this verse to my list. I will use some of the same verses from last year and add a few new ones. So why do I pray all these different verses? Aren't I essentially praying the same thing every day? Yes, I am. I am praying for their salvation. However, by using scripture, I am using truth, and I'm coming at it from a different angle or maybe with a different focus every day. I'm not feeling the pressure to pray absolutely everything about salvation every day. And I'm not saying the same old thing every day. I am also frequently reminding myself through these verses that salvation is ultimately about right worship. It is God's name that is to be known for his glory and worship. Okay, then, for whom exactly do I pray? I have four people that I pray for every single day. These are people I know personally and love dearly. I have a lengthy list of people I also know and love. I guess maybe just not quite so dearly. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that. But I divide them up through the week. A few on Monday, a few on Tuesday, a few each day. I serve in student ministry, as Lauren said, here at Summit Woods. So I pray for the salvation of the students, a different grade every day, including the sixth graders on Sunday. I like to pray for the sixth graders for a year before they come into student ministry, so I already like them. (laughs) The students I pray for slightly differently, but that process is for another day. And finally, those throughout the world I pray for on Thursdays. Just the day I pick, no real significance. In your booklet on page four, we have included a week's worth of verses. I may have said verse four, I meant page four. I don't know what I'm saying. Um, Something to get you started, if you so desire. I encourage you, as you read scripture throughout the week, to jot down verses you can pray. Excuse me. Let's pray one of these verses together. It's Friday, so I will use the Friday verse. And I, 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 I will pray. I'll pray for my little brother. His name is Brandon. Heavenly Father, actually, I'm going to read the verse first. Mark 10, 26 and 7. Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Heavenly Father, thank you for inviting us to pray. Who, Lord, can be saved? We know that through our own efforts it is impossible. We know that it is impossible for Brandon to save himself. It is impossible for any of us to save him. However, God, we know that there is no one outside your reach. We know that with you, the impossible becomes possible. All things are possible with you. Lord, I pray that you would be pleased to save Brandon as only you can. We love you, Lord. 
In Jesus' name. Again, I'm going to ask you to take a few minutes, and in your booklet, uh, there's a place where you can start a list of those in your life for whom you would like to pray regularly for their salvation. It is okay if you have only one or two people. It is okay to passionately plead with God for the salvation of one. After you make that list, please take some time and look over these seven verses and pray a verse or two for someone or or the people on your list. It's praying God's word to a God who cares and who saves. At the beginning of this year, I chose Colossians 4.2 as a verse of focus for this year. It says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Steadfastly speaks of commitment, routine, practice, endurance, even duty. While watchful speaks of focus, clarity, and awareness, I pray our prayers are steadfast and watchful. So those are two aspects of my prayer life, at at least in theory. I admit I'm not always perfect. Sometimes theory is better than practice. And so we keep practicing. Thank you.